teenager the subject of nose jobs was a topic in my house specifically a nose job aimed at my nose i grew up armenian american in southern california prodigious armenian noses on women are eradicated for the most part in those parts very few exist in the wild except on my face which along with the rest of me left southern california at age 18 and never moved back the shape and slope of a middle eastern nose is a lovely thing but to our colonized standards of beauty only a button would do. My mother had had a nose job, as had her sister, had every female Armenian friend of theirs for generations. But I was me, and the surgical alteration of my face wasn't something I really wanted. But my mother was insistent. She said to me more than once, if you don't get a nose job, you'll never get a boyfriend. Moms say shit-ass things to their daughters. It's kind of a rule. But this one stuck with me pretty hard, even, if I t even as I told her I wasn't going to go through with it. Instead of rhinoplasty, I packed myself off to Smith College, a women's college 3,000 miles away from all the slaughtered Armenian noses and the men who would reject me for having one. Twenty years passed in which I was able to prove to my mother that I could get a boyfriend, big schnoz or no, but then around year 21, I was lamenting the absence of partnership in my life, the long string of cruddy go-nowhere dates with men who were wrong for me and probably wrong for most women, the turn of the calendar and noticing that men my age were dating women born while we were in high school, even as they had not increased their value in any discernible manner. And then she issued the later in life shit-ass mother-daughter comment that cut even worse than the idea that my familial nose, which, by the way, survived a fucking genocide, rendered me ugly. I think you need to accept that you may never find anyone else and just make the best life for yourself that you can. I told her that I would never accept that, and no. And what a way to bookend your low opinion of my appeal, mom. From ugly nose to it looks okay on you now, it matches your personality. What? Then just forget about it. <laughs> but I felt in that moment in fighting with her about this point that I was sending a message out to the universe, one that felt like sending a stinky fart out into the universe, that the heavens were conspiring. Fight it all you want, but your deal has been sealed. You'll be single forever. Now go build a happy life. I'm not saying that you can't have a happy life without a partner, because you certainly can. It's just hard for me to hear that as anything but an insult or as an evaluation of my personhood. The negatives outweigh the positives, and your age has tipped the scales, so give up. But you can still write books and travel and have raucous wine-soaked nights out with your friends. You're still fabulous in that nebulous way we say to women who are still searching for that one thing. You are fabulous. And I don't disagree with that. And I'm here today with my very fabulous, very single friend, Jory Jenkins, who I have tapped to uh, be my conversation partner for the subject of choosing to be single. Uh, hello, Jory. Welcome. Hi, Mo. Jory is an artist and a really cool puppeteer. And uh, as I learned today, a power lifter. She can deadlift 
250 pounds. So far. So far. Yeah. That is an amazing feat. <laughs> and I, I like and respect you even more knowing that like if I were dead on the floor, you could just be able to pick me up. So I could, if, the, if the building was on fire, I could get you to safety, I guess. I, yeah. I'm, Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. I hope, that, I hope it doesn't come to it, but I feel very safe with you. Um, Likewise. So like, thank you. Mo is awesome. Oh, thank you. Um, so I got two messages from listeners who both were asking the same thing or saying the same thing. They were both, I didn't print them out because I'm just going to paraphrase them. I was like, they were saying, I'm happy being single. I'm happy to be single forever. Is that okay? I have a wonderful life. Uh, I can focus on my work. I can focus on my children. I can focus on my projects. Mm -hmm. I can travel. I can take up the whole bed. I can do whatever I want. And I want it to stay this way. And, you know, my answer to that question is, yes, that is a valid life choice. You know yourself well enough to, uh, to make that choice. And that is, in many ways, a beautiful choice that I wish that our society were more accepting of. Um, I am assuming that both of these writers were women. So, but it's also not a choice that I have found that I can make for myself, as I just told you the story of mm. my mom telling me that I just might need to accept that I'll be single forever and I should make a good life for myself in spite of that. And I, my response to her was like, wow, mom, that's shitty. That's um, pretty crappy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's not, I mean, if I step back from, you know, the, the momness of it, if I had heard that from someone else... It's not an invalid thing to say to somebody. Right, right. That just might be a nicer way to right. phrase it. Right. Yeah. Um, so you and I have talked about this many times that you, in your mid-40s, are choosing to be single. And loving it. And loving really, it. Really. And Yeah. Um, I think I knew very early, um, I would say maybe even before I was 15, that I didn't want to be a mother. Um, and shortly afterward, I found that I couldn't be a mother. Um, so I, I've had, a, I've had a little while to sort of shake that cage and then re release that, mm -hmm. um, very comfortable with that. But I also realized that there would be a lot of potential partners out there that would have having children mm -hmm. on their list of, of sort of on their to-do list, let's yeah, say. Sure. And I realized that that would limit the field a little bit for me. Um, but I kind of knew that that's who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think also growing up in a very creative family, uh, growing up in a very introverted and introspective family, um, we spent a lot of time by ourselves. I was the firstborn child, so I spent a lot of, I spent the first three years of my uh, life playing by myself. There were no other children in my neighborhood, so my imagination was my company. And I think that that carried over just naturally into my um, teenage years where I was quite often very comfortable by myself and sort of socially ostracized as a result of that. Mm -hmm. um, so just being alone felt comfortable. Being alone felt normal. Um, my, my brother who came along three years later was, was awesome in a lot of ways and, you know, a, sort of a good uh, sounding board for a lot of things. But um, playing by myself and being by myself just remained... A comfortable place and the imagination that I sort of accessed um, because of my mom who's an artist my dad is an amazing draftsman my grandfather could make 
anything. You give him a piece of wood and said, make me a, make me a train out of this. He could somehow do it. So the, the creative mindset and the investment of time that was involved with that creative mindset was very available to me as a youngster. And I saw the value and the outcome, you know, what you could turn out mm -hmm. from your own hands, whether it was an accomplished piece on the piano um, or a, a, a train made out of wood. Mm -hmm. um, but I think these things came to us with a, with a slight sacrifice. Chosen singleness, I, and maybe there was no specific moment where I did that. Um, I, I really feel like it's the right thing for me, but societally, it's a, 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 there's, there's a friction. Sure, there are two people wrote to me wanting my permission. Right, right. So. And biologically, at a cellular level, we're supposed to seek uh, uh, even even amoebas look for other amoebas, right? right. So I, I think when, when that is constantly ticking within us, there is going to be inner friction. Um, so that's something that I, I battle with from, from exterior forces, but the internal forces feel more and more comfortable uh, with the idea of, of being alone. Um, I was challenged on this point though. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I, I, I was married uh, briefly mm -hmm. um, and you know, not a bad person, just you know, we, sure. we were a bad fit. Um, I was in a couple long-term relationships, but, but ultimately, um, that just didn't pan out. Um, and, and, you know, everything ended amicably and, and we moved forward. But, um, I spent, I want to say many sequential years by myself and then ran into someone. And I mean, it was so profoundly impactful Mm -hmm. when I saw this person for the first time, I, <laughs> I describe him walking in the door for the first time. My memory of him is it was almost like the sun wearing clothing. He was just wow. shining. And he was always like that. And I think I instantly felt a connection to him that was unlike any other that I had ever experienced. Before you even really being. spoke to him or got to know we him? We didn't speak for a year and a half. Wow! I saw him in just happenstance. Uh, this was in a, a, a gym situation. I mm -hmm. mean, being a being a lifter, I've been um, you know at sort of a I don't want to say gym rat, but you know something uh -huh. like that for some years, and uh, got into weightlifting, and he was into it as well. And just the two of us came alone, and came you know came and went very, uh, very happily, and would um, I I never even saw him look at me honestly, but um, couldn't take my eyes off him, and uh, the. Um, the courage finally gurgled up from somewhere deep inside that I should say something about this and ask him out. And um, ultimately, the the outcome of that was we could not be together. He was not available. Um, but he has set the bar ever since. Every person uh, that I have met since him, mm -hmm. I have looked for pieces of him in them. I've tried to move on with relationships, even though he and I could never be together. Um, that sense of desire for a human connection that is that profound, that deep, that intense, that um, just openly loving and positive and silly and 
uh, all of the wonderful things you get to be with a human being when you're that deeply connected. Um, and I have been fortunate to find a huge network of people, but never really that one person. And I think I needed to frame in my mind the difference between giving up on relationships and letting go of relationships. Mm. And the letting go for me felt very positive because what I gained from letting go of that was all this time that I was talking about where right. you know, my, 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 uh, my time devoted to uh, writing a, a piece of music on the piano, um, my, my grandfather's ability to you know, work in his workshop for hours and hours and hours. Um, I know that people can manage to do these things and be in healthy marriages and, and healthy relationships, but I think for some people, the dive into the depths of creativity has to be so deep that it would be almost a detriment to a relationship if they had to spend that much time away you know sure i've i've i am very drawn to creative people and i've met some very creative men that i found wildly attractive right, because right. of their creativity but you can't date them because you come second or third or yes. or 23rd totally to whatever they're working on and I've, I've definitely had people say to me well what you need to find is someone who's like you who goes away the same way that you do and i've tried this and it doesn't work because you end up mutually floating off into various cosmoses and sure you know just not you're you're maybe living in the same house but you're not in the same universe at all right. anymore do you feel that as a heterosexual woman, it is really rare to find a partner who supports your creative life? Yes it's and no. It's not really part of the deal as we observed it as children. That, right. I, mean, I, I, I lived at an artist colony in Vermont mm-hmm. for most of 2017, and mm-hmm. I saw a lot of men come through and they had extremely supportive wives hmm. who were taking care of their kids back That's home. Interesting. But most of the women our age that passed through there were single. Interesting. I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I, I definitely realized something about myself that I, I feel like I am a giving person mm-hmm. as a person who's been in the caregiving industry. And now, now I'm in the, in the fitness and wellness industry. You People come first. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to put others first and forget yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten better at this over time. Um, and I've definitely had people say, oh, well, you're ready now. You know, it's, it's coming any moment now yeah. it's coming because, you know, you, you've realized yourself and you've made a career for yourself and this and that, and just stop looking and it'll come to you. That's bullshit. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> if that were true, it would have come a long time ago. So, um, I, I definitely feel like, um, women are, it's tougher for women yeah. to, to just be their own person and, um, you and I have both described being thought of as intimidating. Yes. And to the point where I'm kind of sick of that word. Honestly. It's, it's such a cop out. I think, I mean, you know, I, there, there are things about myself I can't change. I can't stop being six feet tall. Totally. Um, you know, I, I would lose a lot of my joy if I decided to dial down, you know, my creative self or my intelligent self or your, or to change your nose. Right, and I didn't. It's a beautiful nose. Thank you. I didn't get that nose job back in 1995, and I don't regret it a bit. And 
I, I think that there is so much societal pressure to look a certain way as a woman and to and to behave a certain way as a woman. I mean, but I mean, neither one of us are ever going to succumb to being Stepford wives. No. And then, and then there's that added thing where, well, that 40th birthday came and went and, you know, I, you know honestly, I, having worked in geriatrics yeah. uh, while I was in college for a while, um, and working with women who were 103, 105 years old, mm-hmm. um, 40 felt like a little tiny number. And, and I'm really looking forward yeah. to 50 and 60 and 70 and everything. We're not that old. And no. There's this, this idea that we are, which is completely ridiculous. Right. Well, I mean, from a childbearing perspective. Sure. You're, you know, we, you're kind we of opt dead. Out, so. Right. You're dead in the water after, what, 35 now? Right. Could, Although could I have over. friends who are... Totally. Coming up on 43 that are doing it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think with medicine and, you know, science and you know, modern advances and everything. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, one of the things I was going to talk about in this episode, uh, in, in response to my letter writers who wanted some validation about staying single, was the story of some of the foremothers of my beloved alma mater, Smith College. Oh, yeah. Most profoundly, Laura Woolsey Lord Scales, class of 1901, who was born in 1879, attended Smith, worked as the Smith College Warden, which um, in the 1930s, if you wanted to go off campus with boys, you had to go to Warden Scales and uh, have your parents sign a permission slip saying that my daughter, Dorothy Sutherland, has permission to motor off camp motor motor oh, off campus with boys. And I don't remember if it was specifically boys from Amherst, but it was it was boys. That's you had to get your just... parents' permission and and Laura Woolsey Lord Scales, Dean and Warden of the college. That was her job. But it's my favorite thing to like go look in her files in the archives because <laughs> like her job doesn't really exist anymore. It's the dean of students now, but and you don't have to ask permission. Um so she was married to Mr. Scales for like three, four years and he died and she was single the rest of her life and she lived to be 110. Fantastic. She retired from Smith in her 60s. She went to go live in Florida for 20 years. Then she's like, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm going to go back to, to Massachusetts and live in Northampton where Smith is. And she lived another 20 years. <laughs> like I can imagine like, you know, she read books. She had fabulous dinners. She attended lectures, you know. Uh, what was the point of dying, you know? Right. So I often think, you know, it isn't bad. Think of Laura Scales. Exactly. She probably would have died in her 70s had Mr. <laughs> Scales lived. Well, I, I think you, you spend so much time um, thinking about others and caring for others. If you are... Um, I mean, motherhood is an incredible investment. Sure. Uh, I mean, physically, emotionally, mentally, um, and long after you actually give birth to them. I mean, even mm. when they're gone and you can no longer physically reach out to them and touch them. I mean, I'm sure my mother, you know, thinks about me hundreds of times a day and wonders if I'm okay and, and, mm-hmm. and has that, that investment of energy. Yeah, my mom um, does that too. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's a kind of love. I don't, sure. I don't turn it and away. I don't mean to like put my mom down to the whole like <laughs> nose job thing. Like to her at the time, that was tough love parenting. Like she, she wanted you to be happy and she right. thought that, you know, you know, beauty would be 
a, a good way for you to right you know, access. Also, yeah, but I also came away with this idea that wow, I'm ugly and no man's gonna want me. Exactly. And, and it took me a long time to unlearn that. Exactly. Well, I mean, as a um, as far as I know, anyway, a third generation tomboy as well. I grew up with boys as friends and and you know dressed like a boy and was mm-hmm. confused as a boy until I hit puberty and you know kind of rounded in certain places. Um, I was very square and and you know skinny and and uh, just. But I had tendencies like like boys do, you know, to to go catch frogs and and uh, collect matchbox cars and whatnot, climb trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my my mother was the same way. My my grandmother wanted to be a gym teacher. Hey. And um, actually, I, I believe she had a miscarriage, and oh. then her health declined after that enough that she could no longer. But but I mean, that's a big deal. Uh, two generations ago to have a woman basically say, I want to do something where it's physical and it's, you know, kind of unconventional for that generation. Um, so I think I kind of, I come from mm-hmm. a lineage of uh, independent, strong, uh, sort of stubborn uh, intellectual women in that regard where they're thinking for themselves. And yeah. she, she was a family-centric uh, woman um, and, you know, had, had children and had a husband. And she was... Um, treasurer of um the town where my mother was born and um my my uncle and i'm sorry my my grandfather was the was the mayor mm-hmm. so wow. they were of status and everything and and um made a made a really great life together um but she was her she was also her own woman um nice. i i wonder if my my mother my mother's a little less vocal okay than than your mother in in what I think maybe once she bemoaned the fact that she would never be a grandmother, at least from me. Oh. I think just once, though. Sure. Um, and I, I wonder what my grandmother would think. You know, well, why, why wouldn't you choose to have a family? Um, I think, I, I mean, you and I, Mo, as, uh-huh. as friends, I think have become a bit of a, um, a family. Sure. I mean, it's, it's an unconventional kind of family. Yeah. I, but, but in this huge network of creative people. Right. I don't feel a dissatisfaction. I don't feel an emptiness. Right. Like um, I was telling you earlier, I don't lack for company. Exactly. I have lots of friends. Like my social needs are very well met. Yeah. But I think, I mean, as you're talking about your family being, you know, a family of independent women, I didn't grow up with that example. Like, really? There was something to the idea that having a man was having a prize. Right. Even if your man wasn't shit, he was still a man. Right. So I think I grew up with a little bit of that, I don't know, you know, I mean, if I were to sit down with my mom and talk about that today, I think, I don't think she would agree with me on that point that, mm. that just having any old man, um, is better than none. Cause she does not believe that now. Mm. Um, but I think the sort of the examples that were set for me as a kid, mm-hmm. um, and that I would potentially be left out of this Sure. For a lot of reasons, not just the controversial Armenian nose, but <laughs> being tall, being really smart. Like, these were strikes, yeah. you know? Um, but it's interesting you were talking about meeting this man at the gym you were working at mm-hmm. and just feeling this draw to him and sort of this, you know, knowledge that you can never be together in the sense of right. publicly acknowledged partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I've asked you this before, but I'm going to ask you again. So you would rather have... Nothing, no partner, no, even as we've talked about, you know, mm-hmm. all, all, all the creative value of staying mm-hmm. single, but like, if you can't have this guy, that type of guy, this type of connection, then, then nothing is the, that's kind of what I arrived what at. Okay, yeah. Wow. I mean, 
um, I think I described this to you before that there was an astronaut that mm-hmm. described uh, his experience in space, and you know he was talking about the difference in temperature between sunlight and shadow being so extreme, mm-hmm. and he said, "I can't ever imagine topping that." And I thought that's kind of how I feel about this man. Is um, if that kind of connection isn't possible? I mean, maybe it is. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm I'm 44 years old today. Maybe you know in five years or 10 years or three weeks or whatever, there may be a situation that presents itself that is as profound. But I found that after that experience with him, even though it was only a really deep emotional connection and not really a a life experience, if, if I can't have that, I'm, 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 I'm going to say I'm pretty good by myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have not had that sort of profound meeting of the minds. There's definitely been men that I've, I've been wildly attracted to, that I've been wildly in love with, but not flickers of connection, flickers of connection. Um, you know, some really, you know, fellow, fellow travelers in the creative life. Hmm. Um, but not, not that. Not better than what you can achieve is just you. Right. Yeah. And, and um, I, I think this, this connection to this person also helped me to find strengths in myself that allow me to be by mm-hmm. myself. Um, I mean, just the decision to say, okay, well, I can't be with that person. What am I going to do with my life now? And um, feeling love from that person and feeling like, okay, well, what would he want me to do mm-hmm. with the life I have left? Um, and I, I've, I've sort of used that as a little bit of a sounding board. Uh, and, and I, I feel like there is tremendous worth in that sort of remnant intensity, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Um, and I, I, I feel his presence, like I said, the, um, network of people that I have invited to be close to me are all little, they feel like little tiny pieces of that beautiful, um, kaleidoscope that was, the feeling with him. Mm-hmm. So I wow. hope that answers your question. It does. Okay. Thank you. And I, I hope that um, listeners of this program, uh, whoever you are, I hope that this, um, I'm always, I'm always, I've always been a firm believer of giving as much of yourself as you possibly can and being honest about your experience. And I, I hope that people listening to this that are maybe like a few of your um, a few of the people who wrote in that mm-hmm. were asking permission. I give you permission mm-hmm. to be yourself and just be you. I, I encourage people to stop looking at things from a societal perspective and and stop feeling so much of that pressure from, right. from people. Because I think if we look into ourselves and we take the time... Mm-hmm to, you know, what, what, what is my purpose? What is it I'm supposed to do as just me? How much we can enrich the world if we do that. Right. Um, I mean, I divorced my husband maybe a year or two, almost three years before my novel, Every Anxious Wave came out. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I don't know that if our marriage had stayed primary in my life because there kind of came a point where mm-hmm. he I don't 
want to say he was unsupportive of my writing. That's not true. He was supportive of my writing insofar as it didn't cost him anything. I see. Okay. So. But he was not a, a propellant. No. He was. So I packed up and went to Ann Arbor, Michigan to go to my MFA program by myself. He wouldn't go with mm, me. Which is interesting because that moment that I, the one moment I can think of where I had, um, as I said earlier, I didn't really have a moment. Mm-hmm. I had the moment that I can most profoundly think of in Ann Arbor. Yeah. Where... A lot of profound moments happen in Ann Arbor. Yeah, right? I um, I realized I, I was at the back end of a relationship that had ended amicably. We had tried. We had moved there together, actually. And I was um, living alone and heard what I would describe as my inner voice, my true inner voice for the very first time. And it said, you can't expect to have what everyone else has because of what you have to do as a creative person and who it is you are as a creative entity. And I literally hit the floor face down and just wept. I, I, um, I have not shared this story very, um, very much with, with people, but I feel it's important. Um, I cried so hard. I burst blood vessels in my face. Wow. Um, and it's interesting because when you cry like that with your forehead on the floor, your tears fall up. Wow. I never thought about gravity kind of mocking you throughout that process. And, uh, yeah, it's not something that I ever thought about until that moment, but I had, um, in describing it later to those I did share it with, it was kind of a a uncle moment Mm -hmm. with the universe where I felt wrenched by something. And, um, I remember saying out loud, okay, I, I let go. I, whatever it is you want me to do, um, sort of universe as, as, as a whole, whatever it is you want me to do, whatever it is I'm supposed to do, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. That's all I said. And maybe the universe wasn't listening, but I was. Um, and I would say from that moment, not the next day, not the next month, not, not the next week, but soon after that, um, the huge creative ideas that have now become the three books that I'm working on and the illustrations that I'm, I've been doing and the paintings I've been doing for years, they, they began to show up. I'm sure now that they were waiting outside the door that to them had been closed up to that point because I was seeking something else. I was chasing another life. Mm-hmm. I felt like they had had the ear to the door the whole time. And they said, hey, guys, did you hear that? She's going to let us in. And from that point on, I have had this huge influx of of creative ideas. So I think that letting go moment, that saying, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to try for this life Mm -hmm. that everyone else seems to have and want. And and I'm not going to want that anymore. Wow. But now I get this. Now I get this incredible... And I, I think um, I was talking with another artist at a um, show I was doing in Ann Arbor as well. Um, she was talking about being uh, childless. She said, I have dogs. I think that's what she said. I have dog, <laughs> dog babies. And uh, I said, that's probably what I'll end up with too. I, I'm, I'm not going to be a mother in that sense. And she said, if you keep doing what you're doing creatively, I believe you will be mother to millions. And that was huge. It was a yeah. profound moment, another profound moment right. for, for me where I thought, okay, I'm good with that. I'm so good with that. 
Yeah, I wish I could get there myself. You know, I, I, I have felt moments where I've like, you know, this is who you are and you're you're on this planet to do this work and, you know, maybe that means you don't get another partner and I can't help but experience that as punitive. Right. Um, right. You know, I, uh, you know, my creative projects, my novels, this podcast, you know, comes mm-hmm. first in my life now. Mm-hmm. Um but you are enriching people's lives by doing that. I, I mean, I, I'd like to think you are. I, I absolutely hope I am. <laughs> that's the, that's the, the goal. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and it, and it kind of hurts me to see these, like, I mean, when I was living in, at the artist colony in Vermont, you know, I'd see these guys come through. And I didn't think they were anything special. I didn't think their writing was anything special. Sorry. Maybe this is my problem, my attitude. But, you know, they have these <laughs> girlfriends or wives cheering them on and like i don't have that i everything i do is propelled solely by myself you know like Mm. um it's nice when i get positive feedback from readers but in my mind it's not the same Mm. i get that i do i i feel like as i said uh early on i i've always been comfortable alone but the the world at large isn't necessarily comfortable with you being comfortable. Right. And and I maybe it in a way it, it keeps trying to push back at you for for wanting to just be you. Um I'm not sure. I'm not the journey's not over, right? No, so, the journey is not over. Um So I think like what I'm hearing you say, what I think about a lot is that, you know, at our age, having dedicated our lives to our creative stuff. Like, we're just not going to settle. No, (laughs) absolutely not. And I know Dan Savage says, like, you know, in order to settle down, you have to settle for it. I'm always, like, kind of going through my mind. Like, I know there's men out there that are attracted to me, you know, but there's always just kind of like there's I'm not physically attracted to them or they're 5,000 miles away living in the middle of the ocean or something. Or like it just or they they give off a weird vibe. Like I went on this uh, blind date that a friend set up. Oh God! And um, you know I trust this particular friend. She's never done me wrong before. I have had this happen too. Yeah, friends set <laughs> um, you up with someone, and and I guess what happened was he spent like the few days before he met me googling me, <laughs> and looking at my photos and reading my writing, and decided that's the one I want. And so he came into this date, which was just coffee, so with this like really like intense the marital intent, marital intent energy <laughs> oh, no. that I have to say was incredibly off-putting for a lot of reasons. One, you don't know me. Like, sure, you can read my book, you can read what I've written on the internet, fine, but like, you don't know me. I've had similar experiences that were rather unfortunate. Um, because of the fact that I'm an artist and there's a lot out there, like my, my blog and my website and whatnot. And, and, and they would, they would arrive with this sort of idea of who I was. I've also had people, you know, whether it's in an art show or, um, you know, as a situation where they get to see into my soul a little bit. And, and, um, they, that guy kept saying, I'm staring into your soul. Oh my gosh. Okay. Don't do that. No, no. But the, the idea that they've sort of seen a piece of, I, I think as an artist or as a musician, if you do not bury yourself a little bit, 
it's not totally genuine, right? Right. You're not, you're not fully giving. Sure. So, you know, people are going to see a little bit into that. And, and I've, I've had people say, wow, it would be really fascinating to be in your world. It would really be, uh, you know, a trip to, to be in your head or to be in your life or to be your boyfriend or something like that. They kind of get this idea of, but it's really not that exciting. I'd rather just, I've, I've been on dates where I've, I've, been set up by friends and mm-hmm. I thought do these people really know who I am because right. this person that they've set me up with is so ridiculously wrong for me it's not that they're a bad person or right. that they're ugly well, or... she said she hadn't seen him in like 20 years oh, which geez. I okay fine um but the the moment where he like leaned across the table and said I think I'm in love with you can we talk about a future together 15 minutes in did you like say 15 mm-hmm. minutes in like I, I no no <laughs> no um I guess I just feel like, and maybe this is where I protect myself, where that decision right. to just stay by myself rears up because people will say, wow, you're, you're really interesting. I'd like to get to know you. Uh, honest, sure. Honestly, but I know that, like, I can take this story to you and to most of my friends and we'd all be on the same page. Like, yeah. that, that is not, that's not cool. And, like, that kind of gave me the creeps. But, like, totally. some, someone out there is going to say, you're almost 43 years old, Mo. You can't be picky. Yeah, that sounds like a mom comment. <laughs> I don't think my mom would say about this guy. Okay. Um, That's good. That's a relief. But yeah, it was like... But I think that maybe there are men out there that get to some certain point. I think there... was about 14, 15 years older than me where it's just like, you, woman, done. <laughs> like, I definitely have um, more traditional, uh, I would say, you know, folks that are a little bit older, like my my parents' generation. Mm -hmm. I have a client, for example, who says to me, you know, we need to get you a boyfriend. We need to get you a date. And he said it so much. I mean, it's because he cares about me, right? Mm -hmm. It's because he he has a wonderful wife um, that he pretends to complain about every time I see him. But I I, I told him, I I said, if if she was gone, you know, you, you you would completely miss her. He has really... Uh, been tapped into that functionality of, a, of the, the, the duality of, of life, right? Mm-hmm. The, the functional duality. Um, and he's, that's what he knows. That's what he's used to. So you, consequentially, you know, everyone else should have that too, right? Mm-hmm. Finally, I had to say to him, it's not for me. And the look of dejection, the look of, and, and this yeah. huge sigh that came along with, all right. And he hasn't, he hasn't said anything since, but I know he's still thinking it. It's like, <laughs> he, he just, you know, he still wants to find that perfect guy for me. Like he would just right. look off into the distance. Like, who do I know? Who do I know that I could? And it's, again, it's love. It's like what my mom was right. saying, you know, uh, it, it, the, the worrying about me every day and thinking about me, what is she doing? And how is she, you know, they, it's a desire for happiness for me. But right. when you're already there as just you, um, it, it's, I want to say it's annoying, but I, I try to receive it as love. Right. It's so, always important to, yeah. you know, yeah. remember that it's rooted in love. I get that. But in the moment it hurts. When Also, when I'm surrounded by people who are choosing singleness, I notice that, that yeah. there are other people that kind of uh, pop up like little mushrooms in my life that, oh, wait, they're choosing singleness too. That's yeah. cool. You know, um, but it's something we, I have to admit I am too, in a way. Yes. You know, I, I, I definitely do want a partner again, but I am, I guess I'm being picky because... As you should be. Right. As you should be, because... 
I read somewhere, you know, and this is, I will totally say this is true for me. If I really wanted a partner, I could make a couple phone calls and have it <laughs> locked down by dinner time. It's like noon here in Portland. <laughs> um, I'm not kidding. No, like, I know you're not. I'm laughing because it's wonderful. But like, I don't want that <laughs> right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, I mean, being, being an author... And, you know, being the, the wonderful, vibrant person that I know you to be, yeah. you know, I, I, honestly, I feel like you have to cultivate that. Right. Um, interestingly, uh, in the fitness industry, I worked a five day a week job for several years when I first came here to Portland. And I, I realized that um, weekends were probably not enough with, mm-hmm. between the books that I've been writing, the illustrations I've been trying to do, whatnot. I was actually um, aware that I should probably take more time, structure mm-hmm. more time into what I was, you know, what I was doing in my life. Um, I mean, and not, not only to, uh, let's say, go for longer runs, uh, you know, take time to achieve a, a certain level of fitness that helps my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have talked about this before. Um, but also to sit down and have nothing to do but write. Right. Nothing to do but draw. And when I approached the owner of the uh, wellness center where I work, the gym where I work, um, I was hesitant because I thought, how can I ask for this? How can I ask for time for myself in addition to what I already had? And I couldn't believe how welcoming and warm and, and almost celebratory he was. Like, I am so glad that you're asking for this for yourself. He's been very supportive mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, he, he, I, I hung my, my art in, in the space there for a while. Wow. He, request, he requested it after a, a one-woman show I did. He said, when you're done there, bring it to our space and, you know, make yourself more available to the people that come through here. Um, he, he has some of my, my work in his private collections. So he's always been very supportive of that. So when I, when I said, hey, I need more time, Mm-hmm. He just readily gave it to That's me. That's wonderful. So, um, and and he never questions me, like, hey, why, you know, why do you, why do you, why don't you have a man in your life? I right. think he knows she is her own person, and she is going places as just that. So there are people, and he he has a, a family of his own in a completely different trajectory of life. So there are folks who are doing that other thing. They're on the other side of the fence, who can see value in what we are doing as people like you and myself. So there is that out in the world, and I'm very grateful for that because that additional time to just be me Mm -hmm. and not be that caregiver or that, what do you need? Sort of the genie that's popping out of the bottle going, what do you need? You know, so I'm grateful for people like that too. They're out there. That's good. Jory, thank you. Oh my goodness, Mo, this has been so fun. <laughs> you are one of my favorite people. You're so creative. You're so inspiring. Um, I want to come lift weights with you. Ah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, this has been No Love Signs, podcast for staying single by choice over 40 or whatever age you are. You don't have to be in your 40s. You can be 20 and make that choice. Um, if you have a question for me, please email it to nolovesigns at gmail.com. This is produced by Mimo Davio. Original song written and produced by Phil Ajerapu. Recorded live in Portland, Oregon. That's my spiel. Thank you, Jory. Thank you, Mo.